So, so what an honor to, to be brought back, to be brought back. It's an honor to go somewhere the first time. And um, when they, you know, they, when they take so long to invite you back, you're wondering, like, maybe it's another chance you didn't do so good, or, or it's an honor to be here. So, but no, we had a good time, and um, I love to see how God moves in different people and how um, they grow, and, and what, a, what an honor to be back here with you guys and see what God has done in, in a lot of churches didn't make it back after 2020. So yay, you, you made it back. Yes, you're here. It's really good. And um, so we are, we are um, I did have the great opportunity to uh, really build around the world and the country with the body of Christ. But also really my mission is to raise up the next generation of voices that uh, will go to, from every culture, that will go to every sector of society. So actually, one of the things I do, I'm really excited about, I started my first online mentoring school in 2013, and, and, and it's grown. I've, we've had uh, 2,500 people from uh, 20 different countries that have gone through our training curriculum. But I do uh, online coaching and mentoring for people that are in the marketplace, in government. We have scientists, we have government officials, we have entrepreneurs, we have business people. Um, I work with C-suite level people and, and help them to discover how um, the spiritual culture of their their businesses and their lives can actually produce uh, a greater change. And there's a, there's a, if you haven't realized it, there's a great hunger for spirituality in the world. Christianity may, may be taking some hits, but the hunger for spirituality is out there. And we have the opportunity as the church to make the manifold wisdom of God known to principalities and powers. And principalities and powers are seats of government. They're not just atmospheres and angels. They are, but they're actually people that are in positions of authority that can change things. And I, that's what we're called to do. And so I have that great privilege to help um, networks of churches, networks and nations to, to partner together and help reach their regions and to also um, see change come about. I'm working with, uh, we have a, one of my uh, online uh, mentoring students. She's in education. She actually has an education business in a state where um, education is really one of the battlefields right now. If you look at the culture, it's one of the places where the church needs to be engaged, not just in protesting, but also in producing something new. And, and, and it's one of the spaces where the church can really create alternatives in some cases, bring reformation in other cases. But she has a business where she contracts with a state and is able to bring in alternative forms of education, bypass some of the the agendas that are now present uh, in the education realm and help to bring uh, healing and hope. It's, it's my greatest passion is to raise up people who can see what God is, what God sees and say what God says and, and to see transformation happen. And so I get to do that on a micro level with individuals that are making change and a macro level with organizations and even sometimes uh, nations. And so when I get a chance to go to a nation, sometimes I will meet uh, with people at, at a governmental level because there are still people, um, people making decisions, listen to the people around them. People that are in authority are there because they know how to listen to the people around them. And so what if God's people were the people that are whispering in the ear of the leaders? And I think that God wants to raise up people that will do that. That's my greatest passion, and that's what we do. So I believe we can be that. I believe it's time we need to be that. In fact, that, you know, I, wrote, I wrote a book about this. It's called The Roar, God's Sound in a Raging World, and it's, it's always been my passion to help 
people discover what God is saying. And we live in a time where there is a raging world and there's a loudness out there that's hard to cut through on the internet and it's hard to cut through in the media. But, but Jesus came to show us what God sounds like. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen my father. If you've heard my words, you've heard my father's words. He is the word that created the world, and he is the voice of God that spoke. And when man sinned, the Bible says in Genesis 3 that they, he heard God, the sound of the Lord in the cool of the day. And that, the language is very specific. The word um, sound there is the Hebrew word for roar. And that's what I named this book because when man sinned, the atmosphere, the spirit, the ruah, the breath of the world changed. It changed to shame and fear. But God came through and cut through that sound and he called Adam back to who he was. And I believe that it's time for a clarion call from the church to call people back to what humanity should be and, and to let them reveal who God really can be. And so we become the face of God in the earth. And so if you're curious about how God might speak to you on an everyday basis, you know, I sat next to somebody recently on an airplane and they always ask what you do. Well, first of all, you know, guys are different. Like, I don't know how girls do this, but guys like, you know, they're kind of like, they look at your shoes, they look at your watch, like, are you measure up? So, so I, I usually wear an Apple watch because then they, you, don't get a, you don't get a chance to compare, right? But so, you know, but I, because I fly a, fly a lot, they're nice to me and they give me a seat in the front. And, you know, I book the cheap seats and they, they invite me to sit up front because I fly a lot and I get upgraded. So you're sitting there and people are curious as to why you're there. And so this guy asked me, so, so yeah, what, what do you do? And I, I want to decide, like, do I, do I want to have a conversation or do I want to be left alone? And sometimes I want to be left alone. So I say, I'm a minister, and they leave me alone. It's so perfect. It's like the conversation ender. I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then they put their noise-canceling headphones on and don't bother you the rest of the trip. But sometimes I'm curious, and I want to see if I can mess with them a little bit. And so I'll say, well, I'm a public speaker. I speak at conferences. Oh, really? And I know the next question. So I set them up. I know the next question. What do you speak about? Because I didn't just say, I travel around and do consulting, which I could say that. And they, they might say, what kind of consulting you do? I, I mentioned speaking because I want them to ask the next question. Well, what topics do you speak about? And then I have a variety of topics I could choose that would be less, you know. If I want to have a spiritual conversation, I speak about spirituality. Oh, well, what? What kind of spirituality? So now I've got them. Oh, I am a believer in Jesus and, I, and, I, and, and God, and I believe that God speaks to us. And I teach people how God wants to speak to them personally. And that either ends the conversation or really makes them like curious. And this guy goes, that sounds a little crazy. You think, you think God speaks to you? I said, really? That sounds crazy to you? I said, do you believe in God? He goes, well, kind of. I mean, he goes, I'm not sure. I said, okay, have you ever prayed? He said, oh yeah, everybody's prayed. Okay, so now you talk to a God you're not sure exists. I talk to a God I believe exists, and I, and I believe talks back to me. Who's crazy? <laughs> he's like, gotcha, right? Like, then, then he's noise-canceling headphones. He's done, right? So <laughs> then I slip up my book here. This is what I do. And, you know, so it, it's really not crazy to think that God's interactive. It's kind of crazy to think that there's a God who doesn't want to interact. 
you are already crazy enough to believe in a being that you can't see. So you might as well just go all in. Just go all in, right? Just go all in. So, um, and that's why I wrote the second book. It's called Think Like Heaven, Change Your Thinking, Change Your World. I wanted to title it Think Like Heaven, Don't Stink Like Hell. I didn't say that in the first service because I knew they wouldn't laugh at it, but I thought I was testing you to see if you guys are cool enough. So you guys are kind of cool. You're like 50-50 on this. So now I know where, that was my measuring like to what stories and what jokes to say today. So now I kind of know I'll, I'll walk in the middle because some people are still like, I'm really not sure about this guy yet. Um, the, the reason is because the publisher wouldn't let me name it that. No, they wouldn't. Um, the, the reason is because really your thinking does dictate your behavior. And so Isaiah 55, it says, as high as the heavens are from the earth are his thoughts from our thoughts and his ways from our ways. So it's an invitation to think like him. And I talk about really what heaven is. It's not a place where you go when you die because God first created heaven and then earth then put man on the earth and said, you'll never die unless you eat from this tree. So logically, heaven wasn't a place you would go when you were to die because man was created never to die. Why would there need to be need to be have heaven? Because heaven's a place where God and man interact, it's like between heaven and earth and still accessible. Jesus came to restore back that which lost in the garden. And so heaven is here. It's now and it's present. It's, a, it's in a different space, but it's a place where heaven is Jesus, if you just think about it. I mean, heaven is Jesus. And, and yes, there's perhaps, you know, absent from the body, present with the Lord, and there'll be that eternal, you know, blessed hope that we have. But it's not something that's future. It's actually we're seated now with Christ in heavenly places. And when you're, when you're seated something, it means that you set your mind, the Bible says, set your mind. You're, so you're seated with Christ, Colossians 3, in heavenly places. Set your mind. How do you do that? First, you have to understand where you're seated, then you can set your mind. Because where you're seated is where you're set. <laughs> It's, it's your perspective. And so this talks about how to have that heavenly perspective, and, and it's very practical. Um, a lot of what we think about in terms of the spiritual gifts, we think of it's, it's mysticism. And I don't have a problem with mysticism, but uh, for me, uh, because God is mysterious. If God's not mysterious, then we haven't figured out, so then he's not God. So I don't have a problem with mysticism or mystery, but if it's not practical, I'm just not in, because I, I got to do something with it. So if you want me to believe something, I'm going to say, why? What difference will that make in my life? So I believe if I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places, now I think differently, and I can see what he, see what he sees, and, and I can create what he's creating. And so, so it's a practical, mystical book. Um, but you could understand it even if you're not a mystic. And if you are a mystic, you might understand it. <laughs> some people, I grew up in a church where, you know, the pastor would say, some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. And I understand what they mean by that saying, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. But I think he's talk, that statement is talking about people who want to escape earth because they're not happy here. I don't want to escape earth. I want to bring heaven to earth. <laughs> like, yeah, you can't be earthly good if you're not heavenly minded. Because the Bible tells us we, we should be. All right. That was whole like a bunch of teachings all in one. Now let's get the books. Um, so I really believe that where we are in the earth today is a great invitation, invitation for us to discover, rediscover what church is. Rediscover what church is. I'm going to change my message. Go to Isaiah 42. I'm just going to talk to you now. I'm not going to, I don't have notes for this. So just, I'm going to share something with you. This is a risk because the message I was going to teach you is a good one, but 
this one may be okay, or it may be really great. But either way, it's my last one, so. <laughs> Isaiah 42. Let's go to verse. Yeah, there it is, verse 9. There it is, good. Behold, the former things have come to pass. Behold, the former things have come to pass. And the new things I declare, before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise to the ends of the earth. I go to Isaiah 43. These are bookend prophecies um, about the nation of Israel. He's, he's given this prophecy. Verse 13, Isaiah 43, verse 13. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Shall you not know of it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. These are bookend prophecies. The Isaiah is actually one of the most prolific prophets. Isaiah, I love the way the book of Isaiah starts. Isaiah is a very unique character. But in the first chapters, first five chapters of Isaiah, in fact, Isaiah 1.1, it starts like this. This is the vision of Isaiah, son of Amos. This is the vision of Isaiah, son of Amos. The vision of Isaiah, son of Amos. And he's defined by his... Um, earthly heritage, and his vision is defined by his earthly heritage. And if you look at the first five chapters of Isaiah, it's, it's really funny, because like you would not want to bring Isaiah to preach at your church, because this is the vision of Isaiah. Here, here's what he says to them, basically, in the first five chapters. Hey, you know, God's going to give you a nice house, and he's going to give you awesome, like, fruitful fields. He's going to give you a lot of friends, and you're going to bring them over, and you're going to have this massive party. But I want to tell you that your fields are going to burn down, <laughs> your friends are going to leave you, your party's going to turn into mourning, and, and by the way, you all smell like donkeys. That's how he ends up, like chapter 5, like you smell like donkeys. And so that's not like the message you want to have on Sunday morning. And, but what happens then, and I think Pastor Ken, you actually quoted from Isaiah 6 when you came up at the prelude here, and I didn't know we were going to go there, but he starts Isaiah 6, and the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. So we start Isaiah 1, 1, this is a vision of Amos, a son, uh, Isaiah son of Amos, you guys stink. You stink, and your house is going to fall apart, and your friends are going to leave you, and then he in the year that King Uzziah died, in the year that King Uzziah died, in the year that my earthly expectations of what God was going to do to the political government of the nation died, I saw the Lord. Getting closer to home now, right? In the year that King Uzziah died, the guy that, the guy that we thought would be a savior, but he took the horns of the altar and presumed a position he shouldn't have, and he became leprous, and he was exiled for the rest of his life. And then he finally died. That thing I thought was going to be 
the thing that shifted the nation. And in the year they died, then I saw the Lord, and I saw the house of God. I saw the real nation. I saw the real people of God. And I was lifted up, and I saw the Lord, and I saw the Lord. And you, if you look at Isaiah, and I've studied this out because I've taught on all the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah has like five times more than the next uh, most prolific pro- prophet, pro- prophetic words about the Messiah. He has, I think, I think 25 to 30 messianic prophecies. And this is the first one. He says, I saw the Lord. This is, this is kingly language. This is messianic language. And if you go to the book of John, John says, Isaiah saw the Jesus' day. So he saw, the, he saw the Messiah. And if you look at this passage, he's actually walking through an atonement. He's actually walking through a pre-incarnate pre-crucifixion atonement experience. His lips are cleansed. He can see. His sins are forgiven. He's showing us what happens when we become the church of the firstborn, when we walk through the most holy place. And so this is a beautiful experience. And all of his prophecies about the Messiah come after Isaiah 6. They come after he gets over his earthly identity and perspective, and they, and they come after what he thought was going to be the thing to bring transformation to the nation after he come after that, then he saw the Lord. And it makes me wonder if God's inviting us into a place where we get over what's happened to us and we get over what we expected to happen that didn't happen and we really see the Lord. Does anybody want that? Like that's the vision I want for my future. I don't want (laughs) the new normal. Because normal has left the building. It's not coming back. I want the new... And when we say, by the way, we want the new normal, what we're really saying is we want the new constant. We want the thing that we can rely on. That when we do this, this will happen. And when we do this, this will happen. And when we do this, this will happen. That's not coming back. Because we're in a time of, of extreme adaptability and change and turmoil. And so what works this year will not what works. It's not what will work next year. We don't know what the next social media platform is going to be and when it's going to come up. But what we do know is that there's a message and a word that's eternal. And that is that he has the words of life. And so we don't know what church buildings are going to look like. We don't know if we're going to have tax-exempt status. We don't know if our donations to church are going to be able to be deducted from our taxes. We don't know that stuff. We don't know what kind of culture is going to be taught to our kids. We don't know, but what we do know is that God, my God, shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. What we do know is you train up your child in the way that they should go. They will not depart from it. What we do know is that no matter what happens in the earth, that God has put an institution on the earth that can bring transformation. That is family and ecclesia, family and church, that the family and faith community is the place where God demonstrates himself. And God is looking for families. He's looking for people. He's looking for people that will see him. And here's what he's saying to this nation. In the the midst of all this, he gives these bookend prophecies. And he says, to start with 43, let's go here. Do not remember the former things. Do not remember the former things. Everybody say, don't remember. You know, when you say to someone, don't remember that, it makes it reminds them of it. <laughs> don't think pink elephant, right? Wait, well, you said don't remember. So 
he's not, this word, by the way, don't remember, doesn't mean you don't have a memory of it. It actually means this, don't be marked by your memory. You can't forget, but it doesn't have to mark you. Your memory doesn't have to mark you. That's what he's saying. The former things have come to pass. Forget the former things. The former things are over. Now, forget about it. Doesn't, doesn't mean you didn't have knuckleheads for parents. <laughs> doesn't mean you weren't a knucklehead as a parent. It just means that God's bigger than your knucklehead parents. Like, it doesn't have to mark you. What happened to you didn't have to mark you. And what you did doesn't have to mark you. It doesn't have to mark you. I was in Denver, Colorado several years ago, and I was doing one of these open, I've, I haven't done personal ministry here, but, but here's the way it works. I, I walk around sometimes and I talk to people and I tell them what God sees in them. And that, that might come out like, you know, thus saith the Lord, you're going to be the next, you know, whatever. But it might just be like, hey, God wants you to know that he really cares about you. It's just, just really hearing what God hears for people and telling them. So I was walking around doing that. And then there was this young lady sitting like on the third row on the right side. And, and, and she, she was a young, probably early 30s, maybe mid 30s, short hair. She was dressed in all black. It didn't like, it's, that's just the way she looked on the outward appearance. But what made me take note of her is every time I'd walk near her, she would pull back from me. And I didn't have any impression about her other than the fact that maybe I scared her, which sometimes, you know, people get scared of people that are on the stage or people with crazy blue eyes. People say, my eyes look crazy sometimes. I'm like, oh, that's just my grandmother's eyes. I'm, it's not, they're not demonic or angelic. They're just normal blue eyes. And sometimes they look brighter than others. Okay, so she's pulling back from me and, and I'm like, hey, you don't have to be afraid of me. I don't have anything bad to say to you. And I didn't have anything to say to her from God or thoughts, but I thought, well, let me tell her something nice. And I say, hey, in fact, God wants to say something nice to you. I see you being a worshiper and a worship leader. I, say, I see you playing the keyboard and leading worship. And then people, and then she, as I'm saying, she's getting farther and farther back from me. Like she's, her eyes, like she's scared of me. And, and I'm getting curious as, I didn't have like, well, this is, you have a problem, or why are you rejecting me? It was just this curious, why am I scaring her with these words? And then I heard something. I heard something that happened in her past. In fact, I saw it in my mind. I knew when it happened. I knew who did it to her. I knew what it was, and I knew what it made her respond as. And here's what I saw. Somebody that was supposed to protect her hurt her, and it hurt her badly, and it caused her to not trust men and go into relationships with women that were inappropriate, and I didn't say anything like that. What I said was, the reason you're having trouble listening to what I'm saying is because when you were eight years old, someone who was supposed to protect you hurt you. And when I said that, her eyes got wide and she screamed this, this just terrible, like horrible scream, and I knew what it was. I knew it was the thing that marked her was now being exposed because it was a lie. It wasn't who she really was. And so I turned off my microphone and I just whispered in her ear. And now that lie that you believed when you were eight years old has to go so you can become who you're called to be. Lie, get out in Jesus' name. What's that? That's 
freedom, deliverance, whatever you want to call it. It's truth that sets you free. It's truth that sets you free. It's not even a fight. Freedom doesn't have to be a fight when you have Jesus. So she calmed down. I had her stand up and had a couple women come around her. And I said, I'm going to finish what I was saying to you. You're going to be a worship leader. You're going to play the piano. You're going to lead worship. You're going to, your songs are going to bring people to freedom. And I see you going to Kansas City to a worship school where you're going to learn to be a part of a worship culture that's 24-7. And, and I finished, and I prayed for other people. Um, I didn't know what happened after that. But a year later, I came back from, to Denver. And I was at another church, and this young lady came up to me with her hair was to her shoulders. She had bright colors and bright makeup on. And she was very, like, really smiley. And she's like, you remember me? And I'm like, I meet a lot of people. Um, <laughs> she's like, I was so-and-so. I was at this church. I'm like, yeah, I remember you. I remember you. What happened? She said, well, that, after that night, a couple of ladies grabbed me. One of them brought me into her house. I stayed with them for six months. They would pray with me every week. They discipled me. And I got things straightened out. And I'm leaving for, for International House of Prayer, like IHOP Worship School, where they do 24-7. I'm leaving next month. I wanted to let you know that what you said is true. I'm like, yes. Forget the former things. The memory doesn't have to mark you. The memory doesn't have to mark you. The memory, but you need, you need to know when God says this, this is really good. He says, forget the former things. Why? Because new things, I declare. Everybody say new things. You know, a couple of things we can see about that in the natural. He just says new things. He doesn't even... Like, he just says new things. So he leaves it open, which you could say, well, well, that's just ambiguous. You could say that, or you could say it's unlimited. <laughs> it's, it's ambiguous. It doesn't really give you definition. Yeah, because it's got a lack of definition means that there's abundance in it. It's like there's space in there. There's, there's new things. So you get to discover it. He, sometimes we try to so define God's promises that we actually define them too small. New things. So if God says to you new things, you might say, yeah, I really want a new car. But what if God wants to give you a new house and a new furniture? A new every like, I'm not, and it's not about physical possessions, but these are the things. When we think about things, we think about possessions because they're things. New relationships, new connections, new things. So each of us has lost something in this last season. Uh, April of... Uh, April of 2020, I was riding my motorcycle one afternoon, and my, my GPS, which is my phone, rang, and it was my sister. And um, I took a while before I could get off and get to the side and call her. She said, Jeff's in cardiac arrest. Her husband, they had been battling COVID just a month into the pandemic. They'd been battling COVID for a couple weeks, and um, he had heart stint, and he was in cardiac arrest. We prayed. Paramedics came. We kept praying. They pronounced him dead. We kept praying. And he didn't, he didn't come back. He didn't come back. I lost, I lost that. She, my, my sister lost her husband. I, for some reason, I was the first one she called. Her brother, the minister, who's supposed to be able to fix stuff like that. 
new things I declare to you. Remember I said, when we think about forget, we think it means that we don't have a memory anymore, but it's actually the memory doesn't mark you. When we think of new things, we think it's, it's the opposite of old, but that's actually not true either. If you look at this word, it actually means a renewed thing, a rebuilt thing, a restored thing, which tells us, first of all, about the new things, that they're not just ambiguous, they're abundant, but it also tells us that they're not actually just new, but actually God takes the old thing that looked broken, that looked dead, that looked worn out, and he renewed it, he rebuilt it, he restored it. So he doesn't throw out the past. He doesn't throw out the past. He doesn't, he doesn't waste the past. He does a new thing. Everybody say new things. So don't forget, don't, do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. And then he tells us how it comes. Like, now it springs forth, shall you not know it? I will make a way in the wilderness. That's 43. If we go back to 42, and the reason I'm putting these next to each other is they're bookend prophecies, and they tell us something about how God works. So new things I declare. Before they spring forth, before you see them, I say them. And so it tells us how the new things come. That in order to see things, we first have to say things. Or God has to say it. Someone has to say it before it happens. This is just true in the natural. Like, like just it's not even a spiritual principle. It's just a natural principle that whenever you have an idea for a product, like this had to be spoken before it could be seen. Like, it had to be, someone had to talk about this and, and plan it and dream it and say, like, let's do this thing. Let's make this phone. And so there are people in the world that have the ability that they're saying what they want to do and then we're seeing it. And the, the reason is because the church isn't saying what God is saying. <laughs> like, we need to say it. This is what God is doing. Not just speak against what we're hearing out there. Not just talk. When God first created the earth, we see the way that this concept is. And it, and it says in, in Genesis 1, 1 through 3, I won't have you turn there, that, that the earth was filled with chaos, darkness, and emptiness. The Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the deep. And God said, let there be light. So that tells us about how God declares. When he declares a new thing, what he doesn't do is criticize the old thing. So he doesn't say, this place is in chaos, this place is dark, this place is empty. He doesn't do that. He went to, so, to create the new thing. If you are speaking against the old thing, you're actually being marked by it. Because your words are telling you, I'm still marked by this memory. But if you, if you can see what God sees and say what God says, what you are doing is, you're acknowledging the fact that yes, things need to change, but they're only going to change by what's on the inside of me, not what's on the outside of me. And that's, this is a principle we need to understand that the new thing has to come on the inside of you before you'll ever see it on the outside of you. That's salvation. That's conversion. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. and You'll be transformed. So so spiritual transformation first happens on the inside. Then it's spoken. 
Confess with your mouth. How many times do I have to get Because you're looking at me like, is this new age mumbo jumbo? No, this is the gospel. This is the way the world was created. This is how God does things. So if God's going to do a new thing, he's going to first do it on the inside of you. You got to stop being marked by the past, defining yourself by the past, talking about the past, speaking negatively about the past. And that goes, that has to do with the stuff around you. Because if you're so focused on the negativity around you, you can't see what God is doing new on the inside of you. And what is inside of you is so much greater than what's around you. So much greater. All right, so here's where I go into my introductory story that it would have if I was going to preach my other sermon. Because how do you put something on the inside of you? Because I've already given you points without giving you points, but let me reiterate them, okay, that forgetting the former things, the first thing you need to do to see the new thing is to not let the memory mark you, right? So forget the former things. Don't let the memory mark you. The second thing you need to do is to understand the new thing that God wants to do is not something you can see or necessarily define. So the ambiguity of it, the uncertainty of it is not saying it's not going to happen. It's saying it's bigger than you could possibly see. It's a new thing. And by the way, it's actually built on what's already happened. And so once you can forget it, not that that mark you, now God can use that to make you. So the new old thing that doesn't mark you actually makes you into the new thing. You with me? That's almost even alliteration for my second point. So (laughs) let me see if I can make an alliteration because I'm a preacher geek. All right. So don't let the memory mark you, but let the memory make you. Two points. <laughs> I'm just a preacher geek. That's what I am. I, I have to make it in my head. Okay, now it's going to be tough to get a third point that has M's in it. I don't think I'm going to do it, but let's just keep going. So we're talking about how the new thing comes, and it's, it's first on the inside. And here's how it is with God. He's, he's hovering over chaos, darkness, and emptiness. And he doesn't say, this place is dark. This place is chaos. My kids are crazy. My husband's a mess. The world's nuts. I'm going to circle the wagons. I'm going to become a prepper. I'm going to eat freeze-dried astronaut food the rest of my life. I'm giving up on church. I'm just going to watch online. It's the same thing online as it is here. It's just that you're, you have agoraphobia or whatever that is, xenophobia, whatever it makes you want, not want to come out of your house. Sorry, I'll people online. I'm not saying that you're bad. I'm just saying like... I like watching online too, okay? I do. I'm just saying, like, I need people though, okay? So, because a new thing includes other people. It's not just you dreaming about it, it's you doing it with someone. So, God's there, He's going, okay, there's got to be a solution to all this mess in front of me. And He's like, yeah, I know what it is. Light be. He uses this phrase, light be. Let there be light. Light be. Make sure I'm checking with it. Oh my goodness, I'm wrapping up. Okay, here we go. It's on the inside of you. Light be. Light be. Where's the light coming from? God, in him is there no, there's no darkness. He is light. And so God's saying, light in me be in chaos, darkness, and empty. Light in me be, okay? So then Paul goes in Colossians 1. He starts going like this. Hey, guys, there's something on the inside of you. Like you're living in a, an environment where the government's crazy. Or they're persecuting you. They're lighting Christians on fire. They're sending you to the lions. But, but there's something on the inside of you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. 
So what's on the inside of you is greater than Nero and greater than Rome and greater than, than, than the persecution that's coming from the Pharisees. It's greater. What's inside of you is greater than what's around you. What's inside of you greater than the past. It's greater than the memory. It's greater than that. Christ in you. Are you with me? But Paul says something before that verse that you have to read as well. It says that there's a mystery that's been hidden since the foundation of the world. Christ in you is the hope of glory. He's pointing us back to, to the word at the beginning. The mystery hidden at creation is what's inside of you is new. And it has to be spoken for it to come out. So you, if something's going to be seen, it has to be said. It has to be said. And Isaiah, he says it. He says Sing to the Lord a new song. A new thing I declare to you before it springs into being. I tell them to you. Sing to the Lord a new song. He's telling us how to see the new thing. Sing a new song. You'll see the new thing. I know it's not M's, but it alliterates. I'll go with it. Sing a new song. You'll see the new thing. Like say something. Say what God's doing. Worship God. Do what God does. Just worship him as a form of war warfare. Just praise him when you're in that place because he is doing something new. Let me just, I'll finish with the story that I would have started with. So in, in, at the end of 2019, I experienced an emptiness in my life. Not a bad thing, an emptiness. It was my oldest daughter got married, and, and that created an emptiness because it created an empty room in my house. And I don't like empty rooms. It was very sad, actually, when I walked past the room. I will cry, and then I would want to kill my son-in-law, which I didn't want to go to jail for, but I did feel things. And so I said, I got to get these feelings away. I got to fill this emptiness with something. And so I put a prayer room in that empty bedroom, and, and I didn't know, but I was putting it in there for me because what you fill the emptiness on the inside with, if you fill it with the memory of the past, you're just going to live the old thing over and over again. And so I ended up in that prayer room in 2020 during the pandemic, during the shutdown, and I ended up praying a lot. And, and I joke about it, but I don't know how to pray. When things like that are happening, we don't know how to pray. And the Bible says when you don't know how to pray, pray in the Spirit. Do you have a heavenly prayer language? Do you know why? Because you don't know how to pray. I said it better in the first service. You're stupid, and you pray stupid things. So it's better to pray in the Spirit than pray stupid stuff. Okay, there you go. So I'm stupid, and I pray stupid things, so I need to pray in the Spirit. Prayed in the Spirit the first couple of months. I was praying in the Spirit a lot, and I thought I was praying for the world. I was praying for my own life. Because in May of May 17, 2020, I woke up in the hospital. I was out on a motorcycle ride. I don't remember what happened. I was out of it. I don't know three or four hours of my life. But I woke up in a trauma room with a voice behind me saying, Sir, sir, where are you from? What country are you from? And I said, I'm from here. Why are you asking? And the nurse said, because you've been speaking out loud in a language you've never heard for 10 minutes. And I'm like, oh my goodness, really? That's so cool. Because that's what I've been doing in my prayer room. I didn't say that, but I was like, in fact, I was, they probably shot me with epinephrine. So I was super excited to witness. And I was like, yeah, because I'm a Christian and that's my heavenly prayer language. And that had the opposite effect because they all went silent and they said, um, we need to hold him overnight for observation. We think he may, <laughs> we may think he has a brain injury, which I did have, but I wasn't speaking in tongues because I had a brain injury. I was speaking in tongues because I had something on the inside of me greater than what's on the outside of me. I did. And I didn't even know how great it was because I had a concussion and I had five cracked ribs and a punctured lung and a ripped shoulder. But apparently epinephrine just covers all that. <laughs> 
So I was super excited to be on the seventh floor, being under observation. I was really excited. The seventh floor nurse came in with her computer, taking my information. I'm like, hey, I'm super like, like really jazzed. Apparently I'm a really good evangelist when I have drugs and stimulants in me. So, so I'm like, hey, your voice sounds familiar. Were you downstairs? She said, yeah. I said, were you that nurse that asked me if I was from another country? She didn't answer the question. She said, it's okay, sir. People say strange things when they're on medicine. <laughs> and I was on medicine, so I said something stranger. I said, no, I say strange things without medicine too, <laughs> which I do. And I said, I'm, I'm a believer in Jesus, and Jesus talks to me sometimes, and he's telling me you have an eight-year-old daughter. Is that true? And she said, yes, that is strange, but yes. And I said, and Jesus is telling me that your daughter is an artist, and she loves to draw cartoon characters. Is that true? And she said, who are you? And I said, I'm just here to tell you about Jesus. And Jesus is telling me your daughter's not just an artist. She's a musician. And she loves to play the piano and sing. And Jesus wants you to know it's his greatest joy to hear your daughter play the piano and sing. And right there in my hospital room with a mild to moderate brain injury, five cracked ribs, a pierced lung, a torn rotator cuff, my nurse gave her life to Jesus Christ. Because I took the time to put something on the inside of me that's greater than what's around me. I didn't know how it would come out, but look, if you're having trouble, I was going to say get a shot of epinephrine, maybe you'll dream, but that's not, that was not, we're, that's not the point of this sermon. The point of it is sometimes we let the memory mark us, and then we live from that weak place, that empty place, instead of from the full place. And I just want to tell you that Christ in you makes you full of the new thing. Sing to the Lord a new song. I feel like we need to have the worship team come up. I didn't make them work last time. I'm making them work today. If I got to work, you got to work. Just come on up and do something. I just feel like we need to sing because I said sing to the Lord a new song. So just sing something. Stand with me to your feet. We're going to close in just a second. It's not going to take long. Anybody need to hear this today? I feel like I needed to hear it, to be honest with you. (laughs) I hope so because I wasn't planning to say it. So hopefully... I'll clean it up later next time. Maybe I just got a new sermon and you got to start here. But, um, so Lord, thank you that the memory doesn't have to mark us. First of all, just, just hold your hands out and just focus on the Lord. I just want to tell you the memory doesn't have to mark you. It doesn't mark you. The death doesn't mark you. The divorce doesn't mark you. The destruction doesn't mark you. The disruption doesn't mark you. The delays don't mark you. None of that marks you. So, Lord, thanks.